0: Facebook faces a U.S. antitrust suit. Cyber espionage hits the European Medicines Agency, apparently looking for COVID-19 vaccine information. Emissary Panda is out and about. A simple ransomware campaign goes for success through volume. Stolen SQL databases are offered for sale back to their owners. React to the fire eye breach, but don't overreact. We welcome Kevin McGee from Microsoft Canada to the show. Our guest is Liviu Arsene from Bitdefender with insights on their business threat landscape report. Flash nears its end of life, predictions for 2020, and another guilty plea in the Mirai case. From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, December 10th, 2020. We begin by mentioning, briefly, a major legal development that broke yesterday. The U.S. Federal Trade Commission has filed an antitrust suit against Facebook – alleging years of anti-competitive behavior that could ultimately warrant breaking up the company. The FTC has been joined in the suit by 26 state attorneys general and the AGs of the District of Columbia and the Territory of Guam. We'll have more details on the suit in this afternoon's pro-privacy and pro-policy briefings, but for now, we'll characterize the action this way. If data represent the new oil, then Facebook looks to the FTC like the new Standard Oil. BioNTech has disclosed, according to The Guardian, that information related to the COVID 19 vaccine the German firm has been developing with Pfizer was accessed in a cyber attack against the European Medicines Agency. The agency simply says that it was attacked without offering so far any information on targets, losses, or attribution, Security Week reports. Dutch national police are investigating. A vast yesterday reported citing Emissary Panda, also known as APT-27 or Lucky Mouse. The campaign, whose first interest seems to be the government of Mongolia, is fishing with a weaponized document exploiting CVE-2017-11882. The Prague-headquartered security firm said, in part, quote, The APT group planted backdoors and key loggers to gain long-term access to government networks, and then uploaded a variety of tools that they used to perform additional activities on the compromised network, such as scanning of the local network and dumping credentials. We presume that the main aim of cyber espionage was the exfiltration of sensitive data from potentially interesting government agencies. End quote. A number of the tools are from Emissary Panda's familiar kit, but Avast has found some new ones, and it highlights those in its report. Much about the cyber espionage campaign remains unclear. For example, an unknown company that provides contract services to government agencies in East Asian countries has apparently been under attack, but who that company is and what the pandas were after is still murky. But the entry point into the government organizations successfully penetrated was gained by pivoting from a compromised third party. Gardecor says that a relatively simple ransomware campaign they're calling Please Read Me has been attacking SQL databases since this past January. It's an untargeted campaign, the security firm's researchers say. The attackers aren't interested in the size or identity of the victims. Their secret to success is volume. Gardecor calls it factory ransomware, and they characterize it as untargeted, transient, and simple. ZDNet reports that criminals are ransoming stolen databases for roughly $550 per database, prices fluctuating with Bitcoin exchange rates. More than 85,000 SQL databases are for sale back to their owners in what appears to be a secondary ransomware market. The market also seems largely automated. And there's no particular reason to think that the databases won't also be sold to third parties in the criminal-to-criminal market. There's considerable breathlessness in reactions to the FireEye breach, but both Qualsys and Hurricane Labs offer more measured, less alarmist advice. Qualsys observes that some of the stolen tools may appear in commodity attacks. Hurricane Labs sensibly points out that organizations should pay attention to the vulnerabilities FireEye has said the tools incorporate and apply the available patches and mitigations. Both note that FireEye has shared details useful for protection in its GitHub repository. So the incident should serve as an impetus to more careful patching and practicing better cyber hygiene in general. We note that plenty of vendors are interested in helping you do both. Speaking of patching and updates, the requiem for Flash has been sounded so often that one almost hesitates to put on mourning. But this time it seems to be for real. ZDNet reminds all that Adobe has issued its last-ever Flash patch and warns users in very direct language that Flash will reach its end of life on January 12th of the new year. If you use Flash, plan accordingly. Looking ahead to the new year, as we've been doing lately, we can sum up most of the predictions by saying that 2020's criminal momentum is expected to carry into 2021, and it's clearly doing so. COVID-19 driven social engineering for one thing is here and likely to remain for the foreseeable future no before for example announces the appearance of COVID-19 vaccine fishbait it's unlikely to go away soon expect this chum to be scattered across inboxes well into 2021 and armor blocks this morning released updates on some representative COVID-19 scams reuters sees the same sort of thing One trend, surprising at first blush, but which on reflection seems right, is that COVID-19 concerns appear to have driven a rise in romance scams. Under lockdown, apparently, people are looking for love in all the wrong places. GData summarizes the coming evolution of ransomware by noting that the extortionists will become smarter, more focused, and above all, faster. The increased speed, ZDNet points out, is worrisome, The hoods will be likelier to pivot and encrypt before they're detected, getting inside the Defender's OODA loop. The fish bait is getting better designed, too. Bitdefender sees scammers upping their game in impersonating financial services. The language and the logos, for example, much cleaner and more convincing than they've historically been. Other things to worry about? Well, there's stalkerware, which has drawn attention with reports that lawful intercept tools are proliferating into the hands of unlawful users. And of course, there are North Korean cyber attack units, which the national interest thinks aren't receiving the attention their level of threat warrants. It's not all mom and kimchi in Pyongyang, whatever the dear successor may be woofing nowadays. And finally, remember Mirai, the botnet that took out the Internet over most of the U.S. eastern seaboard back in 2016? It was widely believed when the IoT botnet worked its DDoS that Mirai was a shot across the American bow, probably fired by Russia. Within less than a month, it was determined that this wasn't so. The Professor Moriarty of the affair turned out to be a student at Rutgers University in New Jersey, and not exactly the pride of the Scarlet Knights either. He was interested in driving traffic away from competing offerers of Minecraft in-game purchases and thought that DDoSing them would be a good idea. It's just that, well, one thing led to another and things got out of hand. Anywho, besides providing a useful cautionary tale about premature attribution in the attendant difficulty of recognizing a digital Pearl Harbor, the incident resulted in three federal guilty pleas. There's now been a fourth an unnamed defendant had taken a guilty plea before the U.S. court for the District of New Hampshire. The defendant is unnamed because of the defendant's tender years at the time of the offense. The U.S. Department of Justice said yesterday that according to the plea agreement, the individual conspired to commit computer fraud and abuse by operating a botnet and by intentionally damaging a computer. Because the individual was a juvenile at the time of the commission of the offense, the individual's identity is being withheld pursuant to the Juvenile Delinquency Act. May the individual set his or her feet on a better path. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging Researchers at Bitdefender recently published their Business Threat Landscape Report for 2020. Joining us with key takeaways from the report is Liviu Arsene, Senior E-Threat Analyst at Bitdefender.
2: This has been a very interesting year, to say the <laughs> least. So um, basically the entire report focuses on how the pandemic has um, affected both the threat landscape and you know, the overall um, infrastructure for organizations as well as their employees.
0: Well, let's go through it together. But I mean, what are some of the key findings here?
2: Uh, right. So, I guess one of the biggest uh, key findings is that you know half of organizations weren't prepared for a, um, a pandemic-type situation. So that means you know they literally had to redesign their entire infrastructures overnight to accommodate you know all their employees working remotely. And you know when you do these types of things without uh, proper preparation, you know misconfigurations uh, and blunders will happen. And it's likely that most of these misconfigurations and, um, you know, on the go infrastructure realignments will probably be exploited uh, by attackers in the next 12 to 18 months, you know, by using very simple techniques, everything from brute forcing to credential stuffing or simply exploiting, you know, uh, unpatched systems.
0: So what are some of the takeaways here? With the information you gathered in the report, what what sort of lessons uh, can you share with our listeners?
2: So I guess the biggest um uh, some of the biggest are that um uh, one of the policies that seems to be less enforced let's say is the is the fact that uh, companies don't have a policy for making employees or for preventing employees from reusing old passwords actually 90 I think over 93% of employees actually reuse old passwords for their accounts um there's also the fact that uh, I think in the first half uh, from January up until June, we've seen a spike in um, suspicious IoT incidents in households. And CIOs and CISOs actually do believe that um, you know uh, the fact that employees are now working remotely from their own homes, their networks could actually be prone to more attacks, to a more diverse attack surface, if you will, that could potentially compromise their work endpoints, laptops, or computers, and uh, subsequently move those threats to the um, uh, enterprise environment.
0: Yeah, now, do you suppose that the, the organizations that that went into this better prepared, but also have been able to be nimble throughout,
2: are they going to have a competitive advantage when we get to the other side? Uh, well, security is—you know—you can look at it as something, as something organic. You know, it, it's never something that you uh, you deploy once and you forget about it. You know, it's something that you constantly have to evaluate. Um, So those that had a plan were probably a little bit better prepared to face the new threats. But these are not the only threats, uh, the only things that have changed. Even those companies that were prepared for this scenario are now facing threats that they uh, previously didn't face. For instance, we found evidence, if you will, uh, although (laughs) circumstantial evidence, (laughs) um, that there is such a thing as APT hackers for hire, which is a bad thing because APT Groups were mostly associated with governments, you know, and um, mm. state-sponsored, um, state-sponsored actors. But uh, recent investigations found out, uh, revealed that some of these APT groups may actually be offering their services to the highest bidder. For example, they've uh, instead of targeting uh, financial institution or government institutions, they've started targeting completely different verticals. You know, they went after um, um, a, a real estate company and a video production company. So they had absolutely nothing to do with financial gain. I mean, the attack is not financially motivated or politically motivated. So the only plausible explanation in light of the sophistication of the attack was that they were probably hired by one of their competitors to do a little bit of industrial espionage. And this completely changes the game a little bit, especially for these SMBs that you know traditionally didn't face these type, uh, these types of threats. And this is all in the report. There's a lot more detail in that. <laughs> That's Liviu Arsene from Bitdefender.
0: And it is my pleasure to welcome to the show Kevin McGee. He is the Chief Security and Compliance Officer with Microsoft Canada. Kevin, welcome to the Cyberwire.
1: Hi, Dave. Pleasure to be here.
0: So uh, before we dig into uh, some of the topics that you're going to share with us along the way, I thought it'd be nice to get to know you a little bit about your own uh, professional journey and, and the sorts of things that keep you busy day to day at Microsoft. Um, where did you get your start and what led you to where you are today at Microsoft.
1: Well, I often joke that uh, I'm actually educated as a historian and then went into business, had a a startup in uh, the IT space in the 90s, and and then came to sort of my security career uh, indirectly later in life, uh, much like the career path of Jack Ryan. Um, So I uh, like to consider myself (laughs) the Canadian Jack Ryan. Um, And I think that interesting uh, sort of background, sort of an arts degree with an education based on you know, presenting a hypothesis, defending your hypothesis, building evidence, looking at sources critically and whatnot, um, building communication skills in a different way. Long form writing, uh, has given me a different perspective and a really interesting take on my work, uh, that other folks that maybe came up the more technical route hadn't have. And then just joining sort of the startup community in the nineties, which was sort of a crazy time, was an amazing time to be in technology.
0: Mm, Yeah. And then, so what was the path that led you to Microsoft?
1: Um, ultimately, and I never really saw myself again working for a, a large company, but um, Microsoft in, in the last number of years has really shifted to uh, a different style under Satya Nadella where we take a, a very growth mindset, learn-it-all approach to our work and a lot of the innovations I was seeing that was very interesting started coming out of Microsoft. So when the recruiter called and, and connected me to a vice president who was hiring, uh, he wanted me to to look at the business and growing the business like a startup uh, person would, and was very refreshing. And I thought maybe when I joined, you know, the it, w- it wouldn't be like that, but it, but it truly is. We were trying to build a. A uh, culture that looks at uh, diversity of opinions, innovation, and whatnot is, is what makes you successful in your career, not just delivering numbers or shipping product.
0: You know, I, I think about Microsoft as a, as a global company um, and certainly one with a lot of history. Can you give us some insights? So what is it like to be in a leadership position there in Canada? What's, what are the interactions with the rest of the, the global community of, of Microsoft?
1: Well, the cool thing is I actually started reporting into um, to corporate, so into uh, sort of the mothership, uh, often you, you folks describe it as. Um, <laughs> and so that gave me a view of how sort of the global company works and introduced me to folks around the world and then shifted to a, a Canada-specific career when I took this role a couple years in. And having both experiences has been fantastic because the Canadian subsidiary really operates like a small team We all know each other we all work together um, you know it's a really uh, sort of a esprit de corps uh, a type uh, of uh, relationship we have but I can also reach out to the, my counterparts and really see what's going on around the world so I can call my counterpart in Australia or Germany. I and get a, a really f- global feel on topics or an understanding of how things work in different cultures or maybe they're seeing a different threat in a different environment. And I'm just beginning to, to see it now where they've experienced it for a number of months because of some, some aspect of, of uh, their geography. And often the smaller regions really can't relate to sort of larger markets like the U.S. or whatnot. So having those folks that I can rely on as part of my intelligence network is, is fantastic.
0: And, and what is your day-to-day like these days? What, what sort of things keep you busy?
1: Well, it's interesting today because we're growing a team and I'm, I'm interviewing and hiring and onboarding uh, folks in a pandemic that I've never met so it's a it's a full new dynamic uh, for not only myself but for my team really uh, evolving and, and responding to the current needs just like everyone else and, and obviously cybersecurity is moving very quickly now so we're having to adapt even, even quicker so I spent a lot of time not necessarily on the technology but really understanding uh, the needs of customers the needs of my people and making sure uh, that my folks aren't burning out or um, really have what they need to do their jobs so you would think that chief security officer is really focused on more of the technology and sort of the digging into the code or whatnot but the business really is becoming more and more about people and understanding people
0: well kevin mcgee chief security and compliance officer with microsoft canada welcome to the cyberwire you can say thank you
1: <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> wasn't sure what the protocol was there yeah <laughs>
0: That's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at the cyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Between love and madness lies obsession. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker too.